One of the things I've noticed through the years is that Christians seem to have a fascination with the demonic. Uh, as jokingly said in the early service, some great person of church history said, when you go to look for the devil, don't forget to look behind the pulpit. Now, they moved the pulpit before I got up here, so Brian would be the only one that could apply to today. <laughs> uh, we've had our... I'm just kidding about Brian. Uh, it's interesting to me to watch Christian people when the subject of the demonic comes up. You know, for most of my life as a kid, I didn't really care about God or the things of God. I lived in a family that uh, very much cared about God and the things of God, but I didn't. And, um, and yet at the same time, there was, because of my familiarity with church, uh, there was this fascination that I had with the demonic stuff. I lived in the age of the movie, The Exorcist, and all of that kind of stuff, and uh, always kind of got the impression from my mother that that was off limits. I, I, I got that impression when she hit me over the head and said, you're not going to that show. Um, but then at the same time, there were other things that were drawing to me and to apparently other Christians too. For instance, uh, when I decided to follow the Lord as he called me to ministry and uh, made, not long after Teresa and I got married and kind of we began to move our lives in the direction of following God's call on our lives. I was still working in the oil fields of West Texas, and by that time I had moved to an inside sales job, and uh, most of that meant that I took phone orders and you know dealt with people coming off the streets and you know worked warehouse kind of stuff. And so I was close to a radio all day long, and so I started listening to the local Christian radio station, and uh, there was a program on every day by a guy named Bob Larson. Now, some of you are going to know the name, and I don't recommend that you go looking him up or anything like that, but uh, his whole shtick with church people was uh, exorcism, casting out demons, and the whole thing about his radio program was tied to that, and he would tell these stories and all that kind of stuff, and, and I was drawn to that because I was kind of getting a feel for where God was in my life, and I... So that was part of it. But, but I think what made that interesting to me was as a younger child, probably going into the eighth grade, more or less that part of my life, uh, we had some people come visit our house in Odessa. Now, my dad, I've told you before, was in the computer industry in Houston in the early 60s, and God called him to the ministry in the late 60s. And so we moved away from Houston, but some of their friends, that is my parents' friends from the Houston area, came to see us in Odessa. Uh, and I was junior high, middle school age at the time, and these, this guy was a banker. Now, you know, guys who train to be bankers are kind of weird anyway. Uh, nah, I'm just kidding with Wade over there. Um, this guy has, was a banker by trade, but God had uh, moved in his life to the point that he had begun a ministry of exorcism. And now that doesn't fit. If you knew my parents, you'd know that this just doesn't fit. But yet this guy wanted to come out. So they left Houston, came all the way out to West Texas where we were, and came to our house. And this guy began to um, demonstrate this calling that he had. I got to tell you, for an eighth grade kid, this sucked me right in. Okay, I didn't have any business with God or use for God or anything like that. But this guy comes in and he starts talking about demons in the fish in our aquarium jumped me right into the middle of the conversation. 
Now, I'll tell you how weird this must have been. Okay, I remember it being weird, but I was an eighth grade kid running from God. Uh, but it must have been so weird because somewhere in the middle of that, this guy's calling demons out of the chairs and tables and fish. Suddenly, my mother said to me and my brother, you know what, guys, we need stuff from the store. Y'all walk down to the store and get us something. Now, I know enough as a parent now, that was getting us out of the house. But it made an impression on me. So as we come into this discussion today, I want to train your attention towards demons in church. There's a reason I don't preach these kind of sermons right after I move here. You know that, right? I've been here a little over two years, approaching two and a half. So you know me well enough to know that I haven't you know, just jumped off of the turnip truck or anything like that. So I want you to go with me in your Bibles. We're studying as we're walking through the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And one of the things is that little intro thing uh, video showed you is I'm trying to remind us all the time that we are the storytellers, that God has so moved in history that he has changed your life if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And by definition, that means you are one who is called to tell the good news of Jesus Christ into a lost world. And one of the things that Luke is showing us early on here is that this world in which we live is not just lost. It is dark and it is dangerous. But his whole driving thought so far in this introductory part of the book has been the authority that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. We saw that last time as we looked at what he had to teach. And today we see that again in what he does with this guy who has a demon. And we'll see it again as we go forward, his his, uh, authority over disease. And so as we do all of that, there's some things that I want us to notice from this passage today. We're in Luke chapter 4, we'll be in verse 31 in just a moment. But before we do that... I want to just kind of underscore, you saw on the sign outside, the title for the sermon is Demons in Church, and I'm not talking about Brian, and I hope I'm not talking about me, Uh, might not even be talking about you. But my basic premise is that the devil regularly shows up at church. Now, a couple of things I want to say before I get too deep into this. First of all, Uh, there are those people in our day and age, even in the church, who would say, "Uh, you know, the devil's stuff, that's not real. All that demonic stuff, that's not really real. That's first century lack of educational training about epilepsy and those kind of things. Well, whatever else you want to say about that, I'm going to say this about that approach. It's wrong, okay? Scripture is very clear. It's a very real enemy called Satan. The whole demonic realm is a very real thing. Now, I've tried to say in several sermons before this, we need to give the devil his due and recognize that he's not a pushover. He is extremely dangerous in your life. But what Luke shows us here is that he is not over God. He is not over Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that as we go through this. But to that group of people in theology and theological circles who would say it's not really real, first of all, I would say you need to read your Bible. Paul says in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and authority and principalities, evil forces, he says. Satan is real. The demonic world is real. And Jesus shows us that even when we're in church, we're not exempt from having to deal with it. Another question that a lot of Christians get, and I want to settle it here this morning. 
Can a Christian be demon-possessed? And here's how I want to settle it. The text we're about to read says nothing to it, so we're not going to deal with it this morning, okay? So now that we've covered that, let's look at what he says. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31, and it says, And he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed, and they said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So here's the first big idea of the message, okay? Here it is. The devil or his demons regularly show up at church. That's a little shocking to some people because somehow they get the idea that somehow the church is this nice protected little environment and somehow maybe we put too much emphasis on the word sanctuary instead of building and uh, we think that you know Satan could never do any work like that in church. Well, it's a little bit different terminology, but it's the same basic idea. This incident, this confrontation between Jesus and this this demon occurs in the synagogue. It is their church. And it's not the first time. It is the first time in Luke's gospel. It's not the first time we're going to find, the only time we're going to find it in his gospel. But this occurs in that gathered group of God's people. That shouldn't surprise us too much. I'll get to some of that in just a second. I want to show you a couple of things about this passage that really kind of need to drive what we, what we see in it. First of all, Jesus is on this continuing tour. The way Luke lays it out for us, he's introducing himself to this world. Now, we, we've gone through all of the lead-in stuff, the birth narrative and the prophecies and all of that kind of stuff. And we went from there into Jesus' baptism and then the temptation series and all of that stuff. And then last time we saw him in Nazareth as he was beginning his teaching ministry in his hometown. And the people heard that and went, oh, wow, this guy's awesome. He's one of us. Then they tried to kill him. So now Luke says he leaves there out of Nazareth and he goes down to Capernaum. That's a geographical kind of statement. It is a definite going down, as far as elevation is concerned, from up in the hill country where Nazareth is, about, a, I'm going to guess, maybe a 20-minute drive or so, uh, down to the seaside, the Sea of Galilee, to this town now that's not a little village. It's a small city called Capernaum. It's a center for fishing industry and for agricultural industry. It's a trade center, if you will, which means there's a lot of people there. And so Jesus moves now into this different locale. It's, it's not really a whole different region. It's just a little different spot in the same region. And by the time he gets here, we've already seen Luke say that his, his popularity is beginning to grow and people are recognizing who he is. So he goes into the synagogue. Those people have the same 
response that the Nazareth people had initially, and that is they hear him teach and they go, wow, this guy's awesome. Let me just kind of give you an aside real quick. So many people in our world today, fall I'm talking about Christian people, fall victim to the cult of personality. And I can talk to people and it doesn't take me long usually to figure out who likes which preacher. Because they don't mind quoting their favorite preacher or their favorite Bible study guy. And so they kind of lay that out there. Here's, I always want to say to folks like that, you know, why don't you try this on? Why don't you listen to what Jesus says? I'm amazed when I go through scripture at the number of times that Jesus teaches and people's response is, wow, that's awesome. So many people, I think, can get enamored with the messenger that they lose the message, which is Jesus Christ, what he has to say to us. So let me just kind of, this is a nudge for you in your personal study. Why don't you put all your other books up and just study scripture. Just study the book of Luke devotionally for a while. Be amazed at what Jesus has to say about life. That's what they did. He goes down and preaches, teaches And they're wowed. Wow, this guy's, man, do you hear what he had to say? And it's into that context then that Luke introduces this guy. Now, Luke's careful the way he words this. And we lose it in English some, and that's kind of a shame. Because Luke now stacks up three words to give us a picture of this one guy, and particularly this demon. Because he says, first of all, he has a spirit And then he qualifies that by saying it's a spirit, an unclean spirit. And then in between that, he sticks this word daimonion, which means demon. Now, the reason Luke does that very strategically, I believe, is first of all, he's been talking about the spirit in his gospel for a while. As we go through the whole book of Luke and into the book of Acts, that's one of his primary emphases. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He's used the word spirit a lot. Luke now is differentiating this one from the one that he's been talking about with Jesus. So he doesn't just say a spirit, this guy has, but a spirit, an unclean one. That would have clued his Jewish, Hebraic people in on what was going on here. But for the Greco-Roman world, the first century world of the Roman Empire, the word demon, as Luke uses it here, actually was not a bad word. They, They would not have seen it as a negative thing for somebody to have a demon. They would have thought that was... Somebody who's particularly in touch with the gods. That's with a small g, not a capital. So Luke, writing into that audience, says, this guy was possessed by a demon, which is an unclean spirit. It's important that we see that part of it. Because what we find now is this battle for authority. Luke is emphasizing for us the authority of Jesus. I've said that four or five times today because I really want you to get that. But you see, the demon now steps up and he tries to take authority in the middle of this situation. Let me show you three different ways the demon tries to assert himself over Jesus in this. First of all, do you notice what he says? What do you have to do with us? Literally, that's trans- it's one of those phrases, like, you know, kind of just casual talk that we might use. He said, what, what between you and me? In other words, what are you doing here? Now, that's a diversion on the part of the demon. He already knows what Jesus is doing here. He comes right to the chase after he says this. Are you here to destroy us? But he starts off as a way to, to divert Jesus and maybe buy himself a little more time to work out of this situation. What is there between me and you? What are you doing here? 
And then he says, have you come to destroy us? Now, I want you to look closely here. Jesus addresses him in the singular. He responds as we go on through this in the singular later. But at this point of the discussion, the demon speaks from the plural side. Have you come to destroy us? What he's doing with that is he recognizes who Jesus is. He calls him by name. I'll get to that in just a second. And he knows that he's come to deliver this demon out of this guy. And so he pulls the guy into the mix. Essentially what he's saying with this question is to Jesus, if you're going to come after me, you got to go through this guy to get to me. And if I'm going, I'm taking him with me. That's essentially what this means. And so this is, that's the second shot. I'm going to take authority over you, so I'm going to divert your attention. That doesn't work. Okay, so you're here to destroy us. Well, you just know that if you're taking me, I'm taking him with me. And then he turns it immediately, and he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And so he ties in to that first century perspective that says, if you could call your enemy by name, then you assert some authority over him. If you can call his name, that makes you greater than him. You know more than he does. Therefore, he is at your mercy. So in three fell swoops in a very short period of time, the demon tries to assert himself over Jesus. What we find is, this is the first salvo of Luke's gospel where Jesus steps in and says, I'm in charge. I like what one of my professors wrote in one of his commentaries. Jesus now is not having a discussion with Satan on the backside of the wilderness. Now he's raiding the outposts of his territory. And he comes into the life of this guy who is demon-possessed. And the demon tries to assert himself. And I don't want you to miss this subtle truth in all of it. It all happens in church. Let's not be so naive as to believe that Satan can't come in here. The fact of the matter is, Satan loves to hang out in church. The sad truth is, Satan often hangs out in church wrapped up in human flesh. And not because people are possessed, but just people like to give him space in their lives. Let me give a few examples of how I've seen Satan hang out in church. I moved here from an area of the country that, uh, among other things, was highly superstitious. Uh, and what I, I mean by that is uh, all of those you know, superstitions that we think of, like black cats and ladders and you know, mirrors and that kind of stuff, those were toy games for the people, some of the people where we came from. A half a block from our church where I came from was a little business. It was kind of one of those two-room cinder block buildings, Uh, but it housed the business of a lady who claimed to be a curandera. Now, if you don't know what a curandera is, it's a witch doctor, essentially, okay? Now, that's kind of a simplification of it, but that's what she claimed to be. Now, this is a half a block, less than a half, I'm going to say 30, 40 yards max from the front door of our church was this lady who was set up doing shop. It was between the taco stand and our church. I like tacos. 
So regularly, I walked past this business where this curandera was doing her stuff. I'm not going to tell you how I prayed for that business. But I will tell you this. I always knew what was at stake with people. As I walked past there and watched people walk into that business, I always knew that they were going to get more than they bargained for with that. So because that was close, because of the area in which we lived, we got a lot of uh, people who would just kind of show up in church. And I don't mean in a church service. We like it when people just show up in church service. Uh, This happened to me one day. I was in my office. I'd been in another part of the building. I got back into my office. Our custodian came in. Now, he's at the time, he was probably in his early 60s, maybe mid-60s. He came into my office And his eyes were huge. I mean, he was just like totally whacked out. And I thought he'd been with the music guy drinking wine or something outside. And so I I said, what's the matter, Pete? He said, there's a guy in the church. Yeah. He said, no, no, no. He says, he's in the auditorium in there. Well, the auditorium was lights out, locked up. I said, what do you mean he's in there? He said, I was just walking through there, and I kept hearing this noise. And so I I saw him sitting in there, and I said, well, what's the deal? He said, I don't know. Okay, well, I'll go check it out. That sounds like a job for the pastor, don't you think? Actually, it would have been a job for a deacon, but they were all working, so I had to go do it. So I walk in to this dark auditorium, and I hear this. I'm trying to make it out what he's saying. I can't figure it out. Uh, but I did finally, my eyes adjusted, I figured out where he was sitting. He was kind of about over on this side and maybe two-thirds of the way back. It's dark, dark in there. So I walk in, I slip in behind him as quietly as I can because I don't want him behind me. And uh, so I slip in behind him and he's laid across, not laid up, but you know, leaning up forward with his, like this on the back of the pew in front of him. And he's talking, crying mumbling something and so I'm trying to make a good decision here how dangerous is this guy but then also I realized this guy needs help came in here for some reason so I interrupted him I said hey I'm the pastor my name's Mark what's going on first thing he said the devil stole my soul well okay Uh, let me go get some help It's dark in here. I decided I'm going to turn on the lights now, right? So I sit down with him, and we start having this conversation. He keeps coming back to the devil stole my soul. So finally, I said, what do you mean the devil stole your soul? He said, look, and he pulls his T-shirt up to about his neck right here, and his chest where his breastbone is is gone, and it just caves in almost, it seemed to me, almost to his backbone. And he looks me in the eyes with a wild look, and he says, the devil stole my soul. And I'm thinking, well, okay. So I start talking to him about Jesus Christ. You know, God loves you. God's not at the mercy of the devil. And he starts going on and on. And finally, I get to the part about Jesus Christ died for you, and you can have victory over this thing in your life. Just give your life to him. He looks at me with a wild look. He says, what time is it? I look at my watch, I tell him, he jumps up, he says, I gotta go. And I follow him out, he runs to the back corner where the entrance was. And as we're standing in this foyer back, I said, what's the deal? He says, I gotta go. He said, I got an appointment with my attorney down the street. 
And I said, man, you need, you need Christ. He says, hey, hey, you got a paper and pencil? And I said, yeah. So I grab him that, and he takes the pen like this, and, he's, and he just falls backwards, and he sits down, Indian style, cross-legged, and he, his head rolls back like this, and he grabs the pen like this, and he's just doing this on the paper. And he throws it to the side, and he runs out. And as I watched him, and he, he ran downtown about a half a mile to the courthouse. I picked up the piece of paper, and in perfectly legible English, was this statement, this is not Satan. Now, I've wondered since then what happened to that guy. I do know whatever else was going on with him, whether that was a demonic oppression or whatever it happened to be, I do know that he heard the good news about Jesus Christ. And there's hope for him because of that. Holy Spirit can take that kind of a witness and do something with it. That happened in church. But you know, that's not the kind of stuff that normally happens in church. We're probably not going to see that happen here. I hope that we don't have to see that happen here. But it could happen here. The way it normally happens here uh, is one of these next two ways that I want to, just my own personal experience. One of them was when I was in late elementary school age. My dad was a pastor. And the church that he pastored in Ballinger, Texas was probably maybe a third of the size of this worship center. And maybe not quite as deep. And so we were in a Sunday night worship service. And my dad was preaching. And I couldn't tell you if my life depended on what he was preaching about. Because I didn't listen in those days. But I do remember sitting back with a bunch of teenagers. My brother's two years older than I was. I was late elementary school. That would have put him in junior high school. One of the high school kids was sitting back there. And something my dad said set that guy off. I mean, he went off on my dad. Yelling at him. Stood up. Yelling at him. Pointing his finger like that. I was thinking to myself, this guy... He's crazy. Nobody talks to my dad and lives like that. I can't, this, this guy's going to die right here in front of us. And then, it was a great show. It was a great show. Because before it was all said and done, he's young. Finally, he picks up a hymnal and then he just throws it across the church at my dad. Now, I, I don't know a whole lot. Maybe not as much as I should, but here's what I'm pretty sure is true. That's not a picture of Christian unity. Right? So was the devil involved in that in some way? Was the guy demon-possessed? I don't believe he was. Was he doing the work of the devil in that church? Either he was or my dad was or both were. We're probably not going to see that in here. Let me just say, if you're going to throw something at me, that's why I walk around, okay? You're going to have to be a good shot. Stationary targets are easy to hit. I'm going to move around, all right? Some people might be packing, so better make it count if you're going to throw something, okay? Now, let me come to what I think is the way the devil always shows up at work, at church. I'm going to use my wife as an example here. Now, I cleared this with her ahead of time, okay? Y'all can watch her if you want, okay? Let me just say this. Uh, she, she's capable of handling herself very well. We had a lady in a church where we served. Um, how would I say this nicely? You know people who are self-appointed queen of the world? That's her. You've met her, I, I guess. Uh, and that was her. And she, always, she had this way of spewing poison out of her mouth right before I got up to preach. 
You want to really get to this preacher? Catch me right before we come in here to do worship and tell me some kind of big problem, okay? Because then I start work, work some, you know. Um, so in this case, this lady caught Teresa one day. I happened to be on vacation that day, uh, and I was in some schoolwork stuff, and I took that day off as vacation. I was working at home on school stuff, which was church stuff. But this lady got it in her mind that I had taken that day off, and I was out of all things hunting on a Sunday morning. Now, how awful is that? And so she caught Teresa before church. Your husband is out hunting on Sunday. That's just not right. Well, now, Teresa, I said, she's capable of handling herself. And in this particular case, she got right square in the middle of that lady and kind of nicely said, well, you know, he's really not. But, uh, but she said later, she came to talk to me. She says, eating my lunch. She said, I didn't even know what the preacher said because I was fuming inside after that. And so... And I saw it in her eyes that that wasn't going to happen again. And so the next time that lady came in and said, I need to talk to you right before church. Teresa got right in her face. She said, let me tell you something. We're not doing this before church. We're going in there to worship. We are not doing this right now. We're going to church. You can talk to me afterwards if you have something to say. The lady never talked to her again, as far as I know. Let me tell you something. That's how the devil comes to church. And nice little or not so nice little well-intentioned or not so well-intentioned people with their own agenda wrapped up embracing the cause of the devil against the church of God. Happens in church all the time. I'm not suggesting those people are demon-possessed. I am suggesting that they've adopted an agenda that is satanic, not part of God's plan. And churches are full of that even now. So let me take another step here. Just want to make sure we get on the right page here. It doesn't have to be some big flopping around on the floor kind of demon possession thing. The devil loves coming to church because church people give him space in their lives. Now here, very quickly, let me show you what we find. Jesus responds in the middle of that with laser focus tied to his purpose. Remember his purpose. Now, this is chapter 4 back in verse 18 where he quotes Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And listen to this. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And it's that driving part now that Jesus pulls into this encounter. And in the process of that, I love the texture of the language that Luke gives us here. Because the demon... Now, see, Jesus wasn't surprised to see the demon at church. But the demon was surprised to see Jesus there. The Greek language here has a two-letter word. It's really one of those, it's one of those things that just kind of escapes out. You know, somebody sneaks up on you from behind. What do you do? Hey! That's the word here. It's like, I love it. The demon didn't expect to see Jesus. And so when he sees him, it's like, hey! In other words, what, what are you doing here? Oh, you're here for me! And that's exactly the picture here. And I want you to notice all those attempts of the demon to control Jesus. Now look what Jesus does. He seizes this moment. First thing he says, verse 35, be silent. The literal translation of the word is be muzzled. Now we never could say this at my house growing up, but it's shot. Well, you get the idea. Jesus is not playing. Don't miss that, especially if you happen to be one of those here and you got an area in your life and you know Satan has sunk his claws in you and you got an area that you just can't kick. 
Jesus steps into that. He says, I got this. <laughs> I got this. Be silent. The next thing he says is come out of him. And the third thing is it says that he threw him down in the midst of them with no harm. Here's the good thing about that. When the demon said to him, you're not getting to me without going through him. In other words, I'm taking him with me, which means you're going to have to hurt him to get me. Luke is very careful to record here that when he comes out of him, there's no harm done to him. This is a double deliverance kind of thing. And it just underscores for us how good Jesus is at releasing the captives. <laughs> you ever seen anybody get delivered from the strongholds of the devil in their lives? First of all, you're looking at a guy who had a pretty rough go of it and Jesus stepped into that and he said, I'm bigger than any drug habit you got. <laughs> Amen. I got a friend. I'm out of time. I'm going to tell you this. I, I got a friend. Went to seminary with this guy. His name is Andy Brum. <laughs> That's a dumb name. I don't mind telling you. It's a dumb name. Okay. <laughs> O-N-D-I-E. It's his first name. Last name is Brum. Andy was born as the product of a rape. His mother, who was lived up in Europe somewhere, Western Europe, was raped by a German Nazi guard. And Andy was the product of that. And Andy's life was horrible. So bad that as he got older in life, he developed a drug habit. The drug habit turned into a heroin habit. The heroin habit got awfully expensive. So Andy started robbing liquor stores and ultimately banks and the whole nine yards. And he did time in two different states for the armed robberies that he was committing. He got married somewhere in the process of that. His life was just that, the, the, the terrible story that all the stuff that comes with it, you just add to it, that's his life. I met him in seminary, though, and his own story is this. He said at one point, he reached a point, he just had had enough, and he couldn't handle his addiction, and he wasn't going to go back to prison, and his wife, his family was falling apart, had kids, and he said he sent his wife and his kids out, and he went into the closet at the end of his hallway with a gun, and he said, I was going to end it all. I was going to just be done. And he said, I worked up the nerve, and I put the gun in my mouth, and the phone rang. And he said, I thought, who's it? bothering me with the phone call. He got his mind off of what he was doing enough, and then the phone stopped ringing. And so he started working up the nerve again. He got the gun in his mouth. The phone rang again. Now he's mad about it because they interrupted his deal. So he goes and gets one. What is it? And it's a preacher somewhere that he had met who said, man, I was just was impressed I needed to get a hold of you and let you know God loves you. And that night, Jesus turned on his life around. And he started telling people about Jesus Christ. Because of his background and because of the turn that his life made, he got a commission from the president of the United States to go into public schools talking about the dangers of drug abuse. And it gave him the opportunity to tell those kids about Jesus Christ. And he did that all over the country. Delivered from the grasp of the devil. Let me tell you something. That's good news. And the only reason that can work is because of the authority that Jesus get, has in, his, in just who he is. 
and his teaching and the, the power that he brings to bear into your life. And so those areas of your life where Satan digs his claws in. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm just saying all of us have those areas of sin where we give Satan all kinds of space in our lives. And he does a number on us with it. And this same Jesus who showed up at church that day showed up at church this day. And you're the one going, hey, what are you doing here? Imagine that Jesus might show up at church and turn somebody's life around. Maybe that somebody's you. Maybe today you came in here thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't like life at all. The good news is Jesus is still alive. He's still every bit as authoritative. And as a matter of fact, now we see on this side of the cross, he conquered your worst enemy in death. And he says to you, here's life. So what do you do with that? Let's pray. Father, we see the gift laid before us. Help us to see our need with clarity and intensity so that we might know just how much we need you. Change lives now is our prayer in your name. Amen.